Welcome back to the channel today, everyone. I am Sarah Higdon. I'm the host of This is Transport, and this is Transformed to Freedom. Oh, this is going to be an interesting show because, quite frankly, I'm pissed off. Like, extremely pissed off at what I've seen over the last 24 hours from our politicians, from across the board, I am pissed off. So if you didn't know, I don't know why it keeps doing that. If you didn't know, um, yesterday we got word that three American soldiers who have now found out are from a unit here in Georgia were killed in Jordan while 25 more were injured. Um, I do have a friend that is in the National Guard here in Georgia, and so I have not been able to contact her. I just kind of got this info not too long ago. Those three people were identified, and so I just kind of want to give respects to them and their family because I grieve for their families. They should have never been there in the first place. Um, but those three people are um, Sergeant William Jerome Rivers, who is 46 years old, Specialist Kennedy Landon Sanders, who is 24 years old, and Specialist Brianna Alexandria Moffat. Uh, and she was... Uh, so, I'm sorry, Kennedy is a, is a male. I don't know why I said she. Brianna is, um, was 23 years old. These soldiers have no place being in Jordan at all our soldiers need to come home now they don't need to be in harm's way halfway around the world doing absolutely nothing that keeps us safe their job should be keeping our borders safe. It is literally the only job, the, the only valid reason we have a federal government and a standing U.S. Army is to keep our borders safe, not to be over in Jordan doing God knows what there. Um, heard that they were actually over there doing um, it's for an advise and assist mission with the Jordanian military. But apparently, you know, we had I, I also found out that we had 3,000 soldiers in Jordan right now. That is more than we had in Afghanistan when Trump left office. We had, I think we had like 2,200 in Afghanistan when Trump left office. So we have more soldiers in Jordan than we did at the end of the Afghan war. 
I also got saw a news article just before coming on that we have confirmed that we have U.S. soldiers, boots on ground in Yemen right now. Why? Why do we have U.S. soldiers in harm's way around the world? And, and you know, this is the thing is we do know that um, there's been attacks apparently since October 8th when uh, Hamas attacked Israel. U.S. forces have been the target of 158 attacks between in Iraq and Syria. This is the first time they've targeted anybody in Jordan. And here's the thing. I don't know how our air defense systems did not see enemy. It was basically a kamikaze drone, I guess. It was full of explosives hit. So it was a drone. It didn't drop a payload. It was the payload. Um, I, I don't, I don't understand why we didn't catch that, but at the same time, our soldiers don't need to be there in the first place. Bring them home. But of course, of course, and this is, and this is, this is something that I've been worried about and I, and I saw it coming and here we are. I truly believe that our soldiers are in harm's way. We leave them over there as if they're keeping us safe when really they're bait. When our, when our soldiers are in harm's way across the country in the Middle East, they are being used as bait. They are being used to try to dare a country like Iran or a country, another country that may not like us very much to strike our soldiers that are close. If they're here in the United States, they're, they're not going to be able to strike us. We're not like Iran can't touch us here in the United States. They are there. So that way, when something like this happens now, and you and, and I'm about to show you what's happened in the backlash, but now I fear I'm right. Is that, our politicians have wanted to go to war with Iran for decades. The U.S. military literally trains that as like their sole focused mission. So when you know that our politicians have been waiting for this moment. So, and I think a small part of them has been hoping that, you know, basically daring them, almost hoping that Iran would, would do something. Um, in the moment that our soldiers who were not on American soil, who were actually on in their region, basically baiting them, so the moment that they, you know, some of our soldiers are killed, we can go to war with Iran. And if you don't believe me that that's always been the case, well, let's just listen to, I actually haven't listened to this clip. Well, let's listen to what the president said um, um, after this. 
Thank you. One last thing. I want to point out that we had a tough day last night in the Middle East. We lost three brave souls in an attack on one of our base. Yeah. And uh, I've asked you to go to the side of all three of those souls. We shall respond. God bless you all. Thank you for allowing me to be here. And I wish you would have to go. <laughs> we shall respond. Like they were attacked because you put them there. Like I said, I, I, I think that this was this is a setup. It's like it's like dangling It's like dangling a, a carrot out in front of a dog, right? You you put soldiers out there to dangle them and, and goad them into attacking you, attacking those soldiers on ground so that then you can come in with your you know pack and destroy it. Um, and then I get, I, I, I get word, uh, again, this came in not too long before we, I don't know. I, I don't know the validity of this. I haven't really checked this out, so don't take this as the word, but, um, uh, apparently as early as tonight, Joe Biden will authorize U.S. U.S. will authorize U.S. military action in the Middle East. Like this buildup is again, it's reminding me of when we went into Iraq the first time actually not the first time actually well, actually yeah so in the early 2000s like, i don't know when how many times it's been um this build-up trying to get people riled up and that yes we should go in and you know the public does, would support this but i don't think that our public is is at all the same as we were in the early 2000s i sure as hell am not because I actually had somebody tell me when I was on Twitter yesterday fighting against this stuff, told me to grow up. Like I didn't serve seven and a half years as a as an officer in the army, deployed to Afghanistan where I got a bronze star, and I'm sick of seeing my brothers and sisters dying in war and want them to come home. Dying needlessly for other people's countries. They'll play this off as if they're sacrificing their, their, their lives for, for our country, but they're not. They're dying for other people's countries. There's no reason for us to be in Jordan. It's all a big scam. It's all a big lie that they, that they preach. And then you have... The White House press secretary, how is this the spokesperson for our nation? What I will say, our deepest, uh, obviously our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave 
uh, three brave, uh, three brave of three folks who are who are military folks who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration of the American people. Obviously, more so, more importantly, uh, we lost those souls. And what I will say, yeah, one, she can't get out what she wants to say. Pretty clear. And then she makes the stunning admission that they fight on behalf of this administration. She didn't say that they fight on behalf of this country. They're fighting for what's what's in the best interest of this administration. It's very subtle. But when you hear Green Jean Pierre say that, it's... It's very clear. And this this isn't even actually let's let's go to this. This is and um so obviously the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made his comments um on this today as well. Again, it sounds so much like we're building up like we did to Iraq in the early 2000s. Listen. Uh, let me first note the drone attack yesterday by Iranian-backed militia on U.S. forces in Jordan. It killed three of our soldiers, wounded many others. First and foremost, uh, I'm thinking of those who lost their lives, those who were wounded, their family members, and their friends. Every day, we have our men and women in uniform around the world who are putting their lives on the line for our security, for our freedom. I am, as always, humbled by their courage and their sacrifice. Uh, from the outset, we've been very clear in warning that anyone looking to take advantage of conflict in the Middle East uh, and try to expand it don't do it. We've taken steps to defend ourselves and to defend our partners, as well as to prevent escalation. And the president's been crystal clear. We will respond decisively to any aggression. And we will hold responsible the people who attacked our troops. We'll do so at a time and a place of our choosing. So we are going to attack. We are going to attack somebody. They keep saying that it's Iranian-backed militants. They keep saying that we, that they're there serving to protect our. They're 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 there protecting their interests. They're not there to protect our country. If they were protecting our country, they'd be on our southern border right now, and we all know it. We know that all these politicians are bankrolled by the military-industrial complex because war is good for business for them. If these politicians keep putting us over there... And, and see, this is the thing. Again, listen to what he says. He says, we warn if you escalate this war in the region, how are we not escalating 
the conflict in the region simply by being there. We're not, that's not our country. We don't own any, like those, none of those countries fall up under the United States. So how is us being there not escalating this conflict? That's like if, if literally, if Russia or China or Iran sends troops to Mexico to train the Mexican army to fight against us and we strike them before they can, before they, before they, you know, invade us, which we would like, what do you, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? We already know what happened. We already know that the U.S. would fight against them. I mean, look what happened in the Bay of Pigs. The Soviet Union placed placed, um, missiles in Cuba. And guess what? We We sent people in to go destroy it. We basically invaded Cuba for it. So, I'm sorry. Like, we're... I'm so done with this whole thing where, like, we have to be the world police. I'm just done with it. Because now Biden has now gotten five U.S. five Marines killed in the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And now three U.S. soldiers simply for being in Jordan. Why are we there? We don't need to be there. This is this is what this is again, this is kind of what changed my perspective on so much of of the of the war like the anti-war front, right? So I have if you, if you if you I have a video, you can actually see my um my speech at the anti-war rally um in DC last February. I so after 9/11 I became a neoconservative. I believed the lie that we had to have a presence throughout the world in order to keep us safe. We had to keep terrorists on the run around the world that way they didn't bring their stuff here. That's a lie. Rand Paul or Ron Paul, I'm sorry. Ron Paul on the debate stage, I believe it was in 2012, said the U.S. being in the Middle East and and disrupting the region was was the reason for 9-11. Is the reason why 9-11 happened. You can condemn bin Laden, but you can understand that the reason why we were there, that, that the reason they hate us, is because we're there. It's like saying, you know, so, and he was right. His point was after 9-11, we needed to go in, make targeted attacks and take out just the people who did this to us. Work with the countries that they were hiding out in, take out those people, take out bin Laden, and then go home. Instead, we have a full-scale invasion and didn't get Bin Laden for, what, eight years? 
we have destabled and, and and then you start to look back at all the way through the Johnson administration and we have literally we have literally destabilized the entire region and what made me realize that was when you start looking at the creation of ISIS itself our invasion of Iraq which i do believe was literally so we could have a strategic a strategic position on Iran, because actually, when I looked at the map, you look at a map, you see that Iraq's over here, Afghanistan's over here. You have Iran is in the middle. That's that's a double flank position. So we were already in Afghanistan because of 9/11. So it wasn't for oil. It wasn't for it, it wasn't for weapons of mass destruction. We went into Iraq simply because it was a good target to then gain a advantage on the enemy that they've wanted to go to war with this entire time, which is Iran. So we go into Iraq and then we leave it in shambles and don't expect, you know, another terrorist organization to start up because we've literally we, we went in there and and made the entire population angry at us because we went in there with no real reason to do so. We didn't make their lives better. In fact, we probably, in a lot of ways, we, we probably made their lives worse because we, you know, basically destroyed, we took over many parts of their cities and, and parts of the, the country. And so you don't think that a terrorist organization is going to start up? You don't think that you radicalize people by invading their country? No, they know this. They know that this is only going to escalate even further. And again, it's right into their bottom line because they get paid. They get paid by the military industrial complex. And look, I've been hammering. I've shown videos of, of Democrats. But no, it's. Republicans have been just as bad, if not worse. Democrats have kind of, like they said, they've just been like, we're going to, we're going to, you know, take a decisive action. Yet here is Nikki Haley, presidential candidate still which I don't know why Nikki Haley what she's she's saying about this so here's what she says as a military spouse my heart breaks for the families who lost loved ones this shows the barbaric nature of our enemies in Iran and it shows they would not they would not be attacking our troops if Joe Biden weren't so weak in his treatment of Iran we should retaliate with the full force of American strength. It's the only way to prevent further war. If we do not, these attacks will only continue. So let me get this straight. We need to in we need to attack in order to prevent attack. Basically using the full force of the U.S. military means going into Iran, attacking Iran, so that they don't attack us anymore, 
what she's doing is begging for thousands of soldiers to be killed. Thousands of U.S. soldiers to be killed. The we like these bloodthirsty war pigs. We need to get them out of office, period, and bring our soldiers home. Nikki Haley is one of the worst of them, and she deserves to be nowhere near an elected position. And I don't know what it is about the water in South Carolina. But I'll tell you, this one's not surprising either. Another war hawk, Lindsey Graham, straight up says, hit Iran now. Hit them hard. Senator John Corrin, target Tehran, which is the capital of Iran, if you didn't know. Target that. These people need to be gone and ostracized from society. Honestly, if they want war so bad, they can go and bring our soldiers home. Send send the politicians to war and then bring our soldiers home. Honestly, I'm surprised. I I actually I'm surprised that um that Twitter has allowed these types of these statements to actually stay on the platform. Um, I, I actually think that they should stay on the platform, but do exactly what happened when the Ayatollah of Iran advocated violence against um, against Israel. So it said this is um, encouraging violence, right? So it violates, you know, Twitter's uh, community standards. But because it is in public interest to see it, it can it should stay up. Yeah, Forrest Bomber, you're right. It's so it's so sad how being pro-war isn't ostracized. Thankfully, I think being anti-war is on the rise. I think these Warhawk conservatives, these neocons, are are kind of being ostracized by a lot of people in the community, like in, in the in politics. Um, the left has always has is is all. See, this is the thing: the left is always anti-war until their people are in power. And then they're all for it. They're all for funding Ukraine. They're all for funding, funding, um, funding Israel, funding, funding anybody who is, is fighting a war. And in fact, I mean, both sides fund Saudi Arabia, who's been executing a genocide in Yemen for, for years. So who even talks about that? These people need to be ostracized and removed from office. And I don't know who's voting for these people anymore. They need to be primary. We talked last week about primary people. Get these fucking people out of office.
me see. Yeah, I don't I don't understand Nikki Haley's logic here, but let's listen to this. What would that mean in practice? When you say Biden, you say Biden didn't do something. What was that something that he should have the been doing? The very first strike that hit, you punch and you punch back hard. What they should be doing is going after every ounce of production of those missiles. Wherever those missiles are, you take that out. You keep right. doing, you does take out the training sites. You go and you. But does that risk escalating a war? Does decisions. that mean striking Iran directly? It means striking the resources that are allowing them to hurt our troops. That's what you're doing. It's not they're going after the, the, They're backed by Iran. Iran absolutely. says that they're not declaring the shots, but Iran's training them. They're providing intelligence. They're providing weapons. And this goes there would be no Hamas without Iran, Hezbollah without Iran, or Houthis without Iran. But yes, you're going Iran is a really big escalation. And you go after wherever those missiles are, the production, wherever it is in Iraq and Syria, you take that out. Wherever it is in Lebanon that they're doing that, you take that out. You go after the leaders making the decisions. It's not after Iran, the country. It's after the people who are making these decisions. When Soleimani was, was assassinated, it sent a chill up their spine. They literally, right. it took their breath out. You have to be strategic. It's not but, starting war. It's actually preventing war. What would that mean? Does she not think that Iran is producing these weapons and then taking them into the countries where they're being shot? They are literally shipping these weapons all over the region. They are producing them with the money that we gave them, by the way. And then producing that stuff and then sending it all over the region. She has no idea what she's talking about, and she is literally calling for. She is literally calling for World War Three, because you know if we strike Iran, China gets in because they trade with with Iran, and Russia probably gets in too because they trade with Iran. Is the rest of the world ready to step up like that? I don't think our 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 DEI fueled army is ready to step up like that. I don't think our drag queens are ready to step up like that. Um I don't think they're ready. And and see it is really interesting because we, when we used to train, we used to go to the, the readiness training center ready, readiness training centers we used to we used to uh do war gaming and and actually do exercises against what would be a near peer enemy which would be you know and it was actually u.s soldiers and you are are like it was a peer enemy so it was like the same as the u.s and god we lost so many it, it was like you would get so many people like you know fake killed on the battlefield, you you never won <laughs> because it was their turf. They knew it. They were set up, and they knew how to fight against you every single time. I mean, we're talking thousands of people, you know, hundreds of people a day if this kicked off. But she, 
But her bank account, on the other hand, I mean, her husband would be sent, could be sent into war. And so she could cheat on her husband with Jody again. Um, if, she, if she were president, though, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the um, if she's president, then her husband doesn't have to go. Pretty sure, yeah, I don't know how that would work. Um, I don't know. It, it's... It's pretty awful. And then you have, and kind of going to switch topics a little bit, but then you have, I mean, talk about like, are we ready for it? I don't think, I don't think we have a leadership that's ready for it. We have a president who, who doesn't even know what's going on half the time. This whole speech. Okay. So he gave a speech, I think it was on Sunday um, in South Carolina. That was on Saturday. This whole speech was just... He didn't know what the hell he was... President Biden had no idea what what, what the hell he was saying this entire speech. Um, and then he, uh, he... He again claimed his son... It seemed like he claimed his son died in the military, which he didn't. Um, and was possibly buried in in France which he's not um he he repeated the what would basically be a hoax the suckers and losers hoax um just angrily and then there was a part that was completely inaudible because you couldn't actually hear what he was was saying let me see donald trump when he was commander-in-chief Refused to visit a cemetery, U.S. cemetery outside of Paris for fallen American soldiers. And he referred to those heroes, and I quote, as suckers and losers. He actually said that. He said that. How dare he say that? How dare he talk about my son and all of us best like that? I, I, I don't know what that last part said. How dare he talk about my son and all uh, all those others like that? I don't know. It was inaudible. I couldn't I couldn't make it out. So the thing is, is we don't know if he actually said that. He didn't say it in those terms in, in general, so it wasn't a direct quote. Um But basically, and, and recently it kind of came out that, yes, it was uh, Trump's. Trump said that the per, he was referring to an article in The Atlantic in 2020 where there was an anonymous source claimed that he didn't go to the cemetery uh, because it was filled with with losers. Um, and at the time in a press conference, he claimed it was probably from his uh, chief, former chief of staff, John Kelly, who he had fired. Um, so he had, Kelly has a grudge against Trump and then Kelly later on basically admitted in an interview that he had said that he had, he had, he had said it, but, um, like three other people that were in this, in this, in this, um, 
that were in the room when they said that they couldn't go because of a, of a rainstorm. They couldn't go to the cemetery because of a rainstorm. And it was the secret service that said no. Um, yeah. John Bolton, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and uh, Trump's actual, his personal aide at the time, they all said he, they didn't hear him say that. So again, Biden's just perpetuating you know, lie after lie after lie, but apparently it's just because he thinks that Trump's the sitting president. So, you know, I, I don't know. So here's, here's the next, here's another part in this same speech. Did you see what he recently said about the West, the, he wants to see the economy crash this year? The sitting president. They say in my face, bless me father for, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> Joe Biden thinks Donald Trump is president. He thinks he's the, wait. Uh, you know, again. Man, I, yeah, I'm pissed off, obviously. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kind of change gears here. Um, let's talk though, and um, while we're while we're talking about Biden, we'll and threats to America. Let's talk about our border. Right. And I think I've talked about kind of my ideas for, uh, for what I think the U S border should be. It should be more like an Ellis Island style immigration system. So we can focus our resources, um, on actual criminals trying to come across the border. Um, not whatever the hell we have right now, which, so what I'm saying is we would have to, um, we still have to shut down the border and not just let anybody, whoever, whoever the hell wants to come across the border, come across the border. Um, and so what's interesting is Biden has now, they're, they're now trying to like rewrite the last couple of years to say that they've always taken the border crisis um, seriously since the beginning. Um, he says that, he will he will shut down the border if the senate passes this new border deal which would give him as president a new emergency authority to shut down the border you see how they do this they create an emergency so that then in then congress gives them emergency powers so create the emergency so that you can take more power away from congress and so you can do stuff unilaterally which actually going back to the whole war stuff even if the president even if the u.s strikes as an unconstitutional action the president can authorize quick retaliatory strikes but he can't ex he can't 
basically authorize a full-scale invasion without the approval of Congress. So yeah, he, he just wants new emergency authority. Um, and basically, <laughs> for too long, we know the border has been broken. Well, you've been president for three years. Why don't you fix it? Long past time to fix it. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is like, Speaker Mike Johnson pointed out, He has the power to do what he's saying he can do. He actually has the power to stop this border crisis as the president. He's just letting it happen, though. Yeah, I mean, even Dana Lash was like, yeah, we need to close the border to unlawful crossings, period. Enforce the law and do your job. Yes. It's actually interesting you say that, um, Forrest Mommy, that uh, your governor um, was blaming Trump today for this. Because that's interesting because I actually, I, I did pull this stuff up. So if you don't, so these, this is, um, let's see, this is a different screen. So window. Which screenshot? Okay. So here's the first share. Okay. This is the number of people that have crossed the border in the last few fiscal years. So now if you don't know, fiscal year 2024 20, actually started in October. And so these numbers are um, from October through um, January 1st in the fiscal year 2024 category. Fiscal year 2023, total U.S. total U.S. Border Patrol encounters was two million. Fiscal year 2020, which is actually a little bit down from 2022, which was two million two hundred thousand, which was up from one million six hundred. Which talk about Trump? Trump's last year in office was 405,000. It, what, tripled? Yeah, it more than, it more than tripled. It more than tripled. So Trump's last year in office was more than tripled in 2021 when Biden took over. Um, Fiscal year 2019 was the highest of the Trump administration, which was 859,000. But then fiscal year eight, uh, 2018 and uh, fiscal year seven, uh, 2017 was 310,000. So, I mean, you could say that fiscal year 2020 was because of, um, what was it, order 82? So there was the, there was the executive, there was the... Um, or title 42 maybe that actually shut the border down because of COVID restrictions. And that ended at the end of last year, but that ended at the, at the beginning of last year. So we still had 2 million, we still had millions coming across the border um, 
when that was in place. So it doesn't make sense. So when you start looking at these numbers and then going back again to um, going back again to Protecting our own border from terrorists. These these are the scarier numbers. So, so far in 2024, so since October, there have been 50 people that the Border Patrol agents have stopped that were on the terrorist watch list. 50 people. One came across the northern border, 49 across the southern border. In fiscal year 2023, what was it? 189, is that what it is? It's really small on my screen. So I think it was what, 189 came across the northern border or southern border and three across the northern border. 98 the year before that. When Trump was in office, Trump's last year in office was three. Three people were caught trying to cross the border that were on the terror watch list. There was zero in 2019. There were six in 2018. And there was two in 2017. Say what you want about like having an open border or, you know, more of a, a, a better immigration system to allow more people in, allow more good people in through access points and point like controlled points of entry. That's not what's going on. Like right now, the system, what we have is the worst of all worlds. It's just let everybody in. Doesn't matter who they are. We'll stop them. We'll just let them go. And then we'll bust them everywhere in the world. The sanctuary cities are getting what they asked for. And now they don't like it. And so now they're overwhelmed. And the federal government isn't giving them any aid. So guess what? Now Democrats are actually turning against the president because of their border situation in their sanctuary cities but then they then like people like eric adams say that they still support the president even though he's not helping them his city's in debt and you know who you know they have to cut in order to take care of the illegal immigrants that new york is having to have uh is is having to cut spending on things like the fire department the police department so guess what you have all these people that come in there and then crime is through the roof and you can't hire more police officers because you spent all that money taking care of illegal immigrants. If you come here, I mean, you should probably have a job lined up before you even get here. I, I, and this is, this is why I think a, a better immigration system would 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 do better because then you could, that you could actually get a job before you even made the trek here. I think that's probably feasible. You can you can wonder if you can actually live in the area you're going. I don't know. It's just it's just insane at this point. Everything everything's a mess. The border's a mess, and we have a guy who doesn't know what he's doing. Um, we have incompetence. It's either incompetence or it's a, it's a controlled 
it's a controlled implosion of the country. But what's interesting is the, the white pill in all of this really is that actually Donald Trump is now like doing better than any Republican president has ever done with the Hispanic community. More young people are coming out as conservative. I mean, the power will always shift. And right now, the people are not stupid. And so they, uh, they're not going to buy it. And that's the reason why Trump is winning in the polls heavily. Even against Biden, he's winning pretty handily. Um, and I think that's making a lot of people on the left very scared, which they should be. Um, shoot. Yeah, I didn't know if I would get to these. I did have a video, and actually, so I had a video I wanted to talk about today, um, but I think I might just do an individual video. If you haven't noticed, I've been putting more individual videos out during the week, too. So I might just do this. I might do an individual video, a content video about this, um, about Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is straight evil. Um, they're putting out sex ed videos set in like an elementary school classroom. Um, basically encouraging children to have sex. And so like what a lot of the comments and stuff on this are is basically like they are encouraging um, sexual exploration of minors. And then because they are like their biggest thing is abortion. They basically know that they will, they're basically creating new, new patients so that they can, you know, harvest aborted babies and then, and then sell the body parts like they, like they do, like we, they've been caught doing before. So it's just to kind of keep their bottom line intact. Well, like I said, maybe I'll actually, um, I'll, uh, I'll do a content video on that one. Um, there's also, this is, uh, dude, this one real quick. Um, actually, let me. Let me do this. So in Rhode Island. Yeah. So. So in Rhode Island, um, this is, I'm maybe I'll do a content video on this too. What we've seen before, what we've continued to see out of these schools that say parent, this, th this board member basically straight up said they believe that parents should never be informed of, of a child's gender identity issues, gender issues. And said, sometimes the worst thing you can do is involve a parent. So let's just, uh, let me actually pull this up. Um, let's do this. Yeah. I'd like to point out, um, I don't think parents should be notified simply because 
Society assumes that every child has a well-meaning family culture that is accepting of this. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is involve a parent in some of these issues based on their own beliefs and their own culture. And that will cause that student to commit suicide. If you tell a student who's trusted you, it was be that we never notify a parent on these issues unless the child's life is in danger. And then I think we have to err on the side of implied consent that is that. But I I don't think we should notify parents on many issues that we notify parents on. Straight um again I these people want to hide stuff from from parents they think that they know better than you and this is setting up a system where um, they want to queer theory would would make kids ward, wards of the state so that um and and they nullify all parents rights so basically you don't have rights and a lot of people and so i i do want to know why it's so dangerous to um and I, I did i wrote this article so i i wanted to know why it's so dangerous for schools to keep gender identity issues a secret from parents is because that child needs mental health care teachers school administrators none of those people that work at the school are trained licensed therapists to work on that child's mental health issues that they're going through. I think even speaking with people, like when I was on the Jubilee debate and everything like that, like speaking with people on the left, they understand that this is a, it is a mental health condition that needs to be treated. And so you are advocating to hide a mental health condition from parents that has a high morbidity rate or high attempted rate. Um, but let's also talk about like what happens when schools don't let kids know. And the, one of the most notable is Sage is what prompted Sage's law in Virginia. Now Sage was a 14 year old girl who was, who was going, who the school was hiding, but was going by a boy's name and pronouns at school. Um, Sage met a, a transgender person online, ended up running away one night to go meet their friend and go stay with their friend. Again, 14 years old. Um, she was, she was basically sex trafficked, raped, and found in a closet. Um, and then the court, because the parents who had just found out about their kids' gender identity issues in the court hearings did not refer, referred to, would not refer to Sage as the boy's name and with male pronouns. Um, the state decided that it was better that Sage be taken from her parents and go live in a boy's 
home where she was then victimized again by the other boys that were living in this home. Now she's finally back with, she is finally back with her parents and, and was and testified in favor of this law, which would have protected her. But that's one case. And then you have what sparked basically the, the don't say gay, the, the parent parental choice bill in Florida, don't say gay bill, um, where a 12 year old girl in Clay County, um, they're, they're suing their school. They're suing the school district because the 12 year old was having gender identity issues. The school kept it from parents until, and, and kept it from parents because of their Catholic faith until that child attempted suicide at school twice in two days um, that's the first time that they even knew that their child was having issues. So they were prevented from getting, um, their, their child, the mental health care that, that she needed. And whether that's because they really do have gender dysphoria or because they, um, are following the social trend, they were unable to do so. And these, and those parents said that they would like, it's, they would have be they would they would love their child no matter what they were the, the the dad is a catholic pastor and he's like i would love my child no matter what like so to to use religion as a as a as a as a reason is is was asinine um and there's been other states i mean i've worked i'm working on a bill here in georgia that we uh we had it in this we had it in Congress, or we had it in our state uh, legislature last year. Um, but basically, it's more to inform parents of what children are learning and what they're going to be learning in schools or gender identity issues up until the, actually the age of 16, because age 16 is age of consent. Um, so that was kind of the compromise that the legislator did with um, with activists to try to get more people on board is because, yeah, the age, age of consent. Um, is when you can consent to hear about some of these things and and when you can actually consent to sex in, in the state. So they are trying to pass that. In Louisiana last year, we passed a very similar bill that would have required schools to inform parents um, of, of gender issues. Also, you know, what was being, like parents had, to, it was an opt-in system. So parents had to sign off on, you know, um, stuff like um, trans and LGBT and even just regular sex ed, this parents had to opt into the classroom instruction on that in Louisiana. That bill passed the legislature. It was vetoed by the governor. And unfortunately, the legislature decided not to um, not to override the veto like they did with the, the bill that banned uh, transitions for minors. So they decided not to override that veto, but now Louisiana has a Republican governor. And so I don't know, I haven't talked to my contacts there, but I think we might be pushing that bill again. This will be the third year that we're trying to get it passed, but hey, we're going to do it. And these are the reasons why this stuff needs to happen. Um, but yeah. I just want to kind of, and then lastly, we're going to go a little bit over tonight, but I do want to, I, I want to talk about this little study here for a second. This Harvard study, writing this article made me lose all faith in all academic institutions 
like completely. They claim that climate change has negative effects on mental health. But look, during the study, researchers use participant testimonials to determine how people are struggling with worries about their future and the impact of specific ecosystems and communities and rely very innately on those ecosystems. And then they also noticed that um, in another study that they're doing, the countries that are most affected by climate change are the least studied. So here's the thing. They, they don't, they fail to realize that their study methods, like the methods that they're using are just studying people's perceptions and whether the, the, the outraged narrative is working on them. People are worried and have anxiety over climate change because of the narrative that's being pushed. And it's not, has nothing to do with actual climate change, like with the climate actually changing. And honestly, third world countries, those people don't, those people probably don't give a fuck about climate change. They're just trying to get their next meal. It's like in Matt Walsh's, what is a woman when they said, can a man become a woman and the guys laugh because it's not even something they even talk about. It's something that is so like first world problems is something like we worry about man-made climate change. You know, in the first, in, in first world, like we, we worry about this stuff, but they don't worry about this stuff. And so climate change, if, if, if you go there and they say, you know, they're actually doing great and that their mental health is better than it is here, then it's not, and they're the most affected by climate change, then guess what? It's probably not climate change that's causing it. It's probably your doom and gloom narrative. And I can't see how you wouldn't see an issue with your research methods in this regard. I I, I give up with these with some of these people. I and, and I maybe they they know. They know, they don't care. They're just there to push a narrative. But these are PhD researchers. Come on now. Come on. But thank you for joining me today. Um, I know I, it was a... I'm pissed off. And I'm, I'm I'm more than pissed off. I'm concerned. I'm afraid. I don't want people I care about to be sent into harm's way, killed. I've already lost enough friends in these these pointless wars. Um, and so what's happening right now, it, it, it concerns me and it pisses me off because we shouldn't be there. Like, bring... Bring our soldiers home. And and definitely vote out the fucking war hawks that 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 want to send our soldiers. People like Lindsey Graham who don't even have kids to go to war. Like it's really easy to send other people's kids to war to die for your bank account 
when you don't have kids that could even be drafted to go do that. So bring them home. Bring them all home. So again, thank you all for joining me today. Um, click that like and subscribe. Click that like and subscribe button. Follow me across all social media platforms. And I'll see you next time.